there's a day you always dread when you're doing my job and you kind of put it to the back of your mind hoping you'll be one of the lucky ones but when that job is being the lead guitarist and producer in a rock band you know the odds aren't great I'm Justin Lockie from the band Editors so back in 2015 I'm in the studio in the middle of nowhere in Scotland my singer comes over and he's like hey these mixes they all sound great why is the right hand side twice as loud as the left and then from that moment I realised that I'd lost 55, 60 decibels in my right ear which in layman's terms is you're pretty much half deaf that's where my life changed in a big way I find myself in the middle of a record with a band around me looking towards me for leadership and I'm sat there thinking I'm half deaf how do I get through this not only that How do I get through all the years ahead of me? Where's my income going to come from? So then you start looking for answers. Where do I go to? Who do I go and see? Who can fix it? Is it fixable or is this it? As I looked into whether there were any solutions, I came across the world of hearables, a whole new dimension of wearable technology hearables which can enable you to have a fluent conversation in a foreign language you don't even know to zoom in and eavesdrop on a conversation at the other side of the room to monitor what's going on inside your body and alert you if something's not right please seek medical assistance to hear what someone's saying in a noisy bar to have a practical helpful audio layer across your day-to-day reality a personal assistant in your ear In the last couple of decades, it's all been about the visual. Our devices and technologies have become dominated by images and video. That awful night of reckoning in the studio had a silver lining, though. It led me to a whole new world of groundbreaking hearable tech. And that is the focus of this podcast. Now Hear This. Mission Winnow presents Now Hear This. A series on the future of hearables. Presented by Justin Lockie. I get that they commonly take the form of smart earbuds, but beyond that, what exactly are hearables? Futurologist and inventor, Jason Allen Snyder. Ultimately, what they are in the purest form is they're tiny computers that fit in your ears. So you can connect in your smart devices and not just output sound into them, like a pair of headphones, but input as well, because they're generally equipped with microphones. And that's really important with hearables because they can pick up an audio signal and then process it technology journalist Jane Wakefield. And that opens up a world of possibilities from translation apps that would allow you to sort of instantly have languages translated in your ear to access to the assistance that we're becoming used to on our phones and in our homes. But I guess the real game changer here is when we think about this in terms of biometrics. Hearables, like the most recent Apple AirPods, contain sensors. Sensors that help us understand what is going on with our bodies. Poppy Crum, neuroscientist and technologist. The ear is one of the most powerful places to both read and write the brain. Because in your ear, in about a dime-sized patch of skin inside your ear canal, we can measure all sorts of biometric signatures. We can measure your heart rate. We can measure your blood oxygen levels. We can even decode what talker you might be listening to in a crowded conversation. Maybe you're looking at someone in a party, but you're actually paying attention to that conversation behind you. 
but you want to be able to zoom in. Can we do that today? We can. I've had teams in the past build even headphones where just by moving my eyes, I enhance whoever I'm looking at just, you know, from a headphone. But what excited me the most was how it could change the way we tell stories. The biggest aspect of hearables that are exciting are spatial sound, which is this multi-channel dynamic audio. And when we have that, it can spark parts of our minds that really drive us in an emotional way. And that idea that you can really get that engaging feedback and reverberation and hear somebody with true depth and directionality is an extraordinary feeling when it's done right. It's literally like a step down in the subtlety of our perception. Paul Uman, who runs the Spatial Sound Institute in Hungary. We step into a church and we immediately feel the size of the space and certain characteristics, materiality, geometry of the space intuitively. So we're looking at very subtle sort of ripples in the actual sound. So the movement towards spatial sound is a movement towards more subtle hearing, being triggered on a deeper level of perception. Storytelling itself is allowed to become multidimensional. So I feel really my mind is being opened. Mission Winnow presents Now Hear This, a series on the future of hearables, presented by Justin Lockie. So back in 1978, when Douglas Adams imagined the babblefish translating in your ear, it was an idea that seemed like pure science fiction. Today you can buy devices that go a fair way to fulfilling that promise. Now hear this. Across its seven episodes is a bionic journey through real-time translations, wellness wondering to augmented audio, as the hearable industry soars towards a projected $80 billion valuation. In this series, we'll be talking to those excited about the technology and some who are fearful. We will be showcasing spatial audio and telling some of the fascinating stories of those involved in sound. Hearables now offer us the chance to interact with the spaces around us and protect our hearing from an increasingly noisy world. And perhaps it could have helped me before I hit one of the darkest stages of my life. Over 20 years, my band, Editors, have scored seven top 10 albums and headline festivals around the world. But none of that makes much sense when you're going deaf. I got referred to a hospital for a hearing test. And I sat there amongst essentially pensioners. When you're in your mid to late 30s, the last thing you want to hear is you're going to have to have an hearing aid. It's even more scary when you need your hearing for your job and your entire life and career is based around hearing. After seeing the specialist on my way out, he did say there was one thing I could do and there was one operation that could work, but it was an operation from Victorian times and it's a 50-50 chance. And he said, take the hearing aid, be happy that you still got another ear and go off and do your thing. And that's when I started looking on the internet. So searching around on the internet, I found this one guy who does this one operation and I was booked in for a consultation. 
essentially, he went inside my middle ear, cut one of my tiny stapes bones, fired a laser into it, took a vein out of my hand, stuffed it down the little hole in the little bone in my ear, and put a carbon fiber piston where a bone once was, and sent me away for two months. And then one day, on the street, the packing in my ear cracked. He was coming away, and I suddenly heard air conditioning units from about 150 meters down the road very loudly in my once going deaf ear and at that point I cried my eyes out because I knew it worked weirdly going back to the 1800s there's a story that reflects this attitude to hearing I tell you the story myself but like any entire rock star I have called on the services of a groupie groupies used to look very different now they're a bloke called Adrian Gray when he isn't making his super popular forgotten history videos for YouTube, has an interest in 18th century French philosophy. So cue ye olde French sound effects. In 1749, the French philosopher Denis Diderot noticed something amazing. He's invited his blind friend Marc to tea. But then with no help from others or from technology, Marc is able to not only locate silent objects, but accurately estimate how far away they are. Diderot is fascinated. How is this possible? Bonjour. Hello, Mark. All right, Diderot. Oh, nearly walked into something now. How did you know? Know what? Is it you are going to walk into this vase? Oh, I, I can kind of just tell, actually. What can you do? Well, I can tell that there's something there, and I sort of know what it is. Well, that is uh, incredible. It's like a superpower. It's not perfect. Mark can not only locate silent objects, but accurately estimate how far away they are. Diderot is fascinated. How is this possible? Over the next few months, Diderot became obsessed with working out how Mark was able to see without being able to see. He conducted a range of experiments and developed a roster of theories, many of which were uh, not quite there. Theory 13, Mark is using smell. Theory 45, Mark uses the gravity of the moon. Theory 702, Mark receives information from ghosts. Theory 1009, Mark is lying about being blind. Diderot eventually came to believe that the proximity of objects causes pressure changes on the skin, leading to the concept of facial vision. In other words, the objects could be felt on Mark's face. But Mark isn't so sure. Dennis, I like your face theory. Thank you. But I was wondering, could it be something to do with my ears, like sound? Because I have to use my ears a lot, being blind. Let and... the preeminent enlightenment figure do the thinking, please, Mark. And think he did wrongly. It wasn't until last century that Diderot's face-feeling theory was fully debunked and ears got the credit they deserved. It turns out that echoes allow you to build a map of your surroundings. In fact, some blind people actively make sounds using a cane or even their tongue to generate echoes. Echolocation is big amongst dolphins and bats. But all those misconceptions about hearing over centuries means that oral R&D is playing catch-up. So when I was faced with my hearing loss and was offered hearing aids, well, I was dismissive. I didn't want this, and I wasn't alone. There's always been a stigma with hearing aids. I mean, I'm old enough to remember where, as a kid, if you had poor sight, you did not wear glasses. Everybody would just go for you if you did. And then suddenly they became fashionable. I think it was probably John Lennon. And nobody cared. We all wore glasses. And we need the same thing to happen with hearing aids. Intriguingly, a lot of the work we're doing started off by the hearing aid industry. But they've got some 
major restrictions, which is they're quite expensive to put in and it's not particularly flexible with how you do it. This is Nick Hunt, serial entrepreneur and self-confessed design geek. I coined the word hearables getting on for 10 years ago when we first started work on this and started to see the possibilities. Do you know anyone else who sent a text message back in 1993? His tech fascination has now edged up to the ears. I still like to call myself a physicist, although it's many, many years since I did the degree. And I think the reason I like to call myself a physicist is one of the great things about physics is you never stop asking why. But if we really want to understand where hearables came from, we need to hear from another entrepreneur who was looking to help his sister. So my name is Nikolaj Vid. It's a Danish name. I'm Danish and I'm the founder and CEO of Bragi. My, uh, my sister was disabled. She couldn't turn on the TV. She couldn't drive her own wheelchair. There's a bunch of things she couldn't do without complete help. So the idea was, how can I place inexpensive computers on a person that can help that person? Bragi created the world's first true wireless smart headphones called the Dash, bringing together audio, biometrics, Bluetooth connectivity into a single product. The two places where I have the highest I.O. value is the eye and the ear. Visual computer has been around for a long, long, long time. So if I need to address something with the limited funds that I had, I needed to do something that was using the sound. I'm the kind of guy that is like uh, saying, well, if you don't want to make it, then I'll make it. So, so that's what we did. Now, if you're anything like me, you despise wires. I have a drawer filled with tangled wires going back decades. But Nikolai also found another annoyance. When we were having all these sensors, that the data from the sensors didn't make any sense because they, there was a lot of like um, wrong data coming out of them when there was a cable tugging the headphone. When a cable tugs the headphone, the data that comes out of the sensors is junk. So you've got to lose the cables. But back in the day, 2013, we concepted this product. Uh, this product has 27 sensor streams. It's the first product in the world to have Alexa on it. It's the first product in the world to do translation. It's the first product in the world to be able to do playback MP3s by itself. It's the first product you could swim with, and I can keep on doing this list a long time. Before we even got anywhere, we had sold more than 30,000 of these devices. But, you know, it was both a blessing and a curse. In the beginning, we had 100% market share. Then we had 30% market share because Samsung and Apple came into the market. We sold the headphone business and purely focused on the software business. Now, the purpose of doing all this is that the future is partly true wireless headphones, but it's massively hearables. So I can speak while I run. I can speak while I bike. So instead of having a phone that distances you from life, my objective is to have tiny computers that connect you with life. Um, there's going to be sold more headphones by 2030 uh, than laptops and PCs combined. So the second largest compute platform in the world will be headphones after the smartphone and not distanced by much. Back in the past, a wireless headphone just replaced the cable and it just played back stuff from your device. But I think it's going to be an independent computational device. The time where visual computing had the monopoly is starting to shift. The number one compute device in the world will be headphones eventually. Back to Nick Hun. A lot of development in these areas need that point where there's a critical mass of something which is just about good enough to provide the input. There is massive innovation taking place in hearable space. 
The growth of earbuds, which are now the must-have hearable for around 80 million users, has turned into one of the fastest-growing consumer electronics product sectors. So it's sometimes those little peripheral things, like the battery suddenly gets small enough that you can do this, that changes the things and sets a whole new field in motion. But arguably, the big change took place when Apple released the AirPods. So Tim Cook said, pioneers take arrows, settlers take land. And he's very much right. Like We took a lot of arrows and we did it for Apple and many others. Apple would have done it without us or with us. They now cancel noise, minimise loud sounds, monitor our health and sit in the ear canals of more than 150 million people. We were going beyond just being able to put something in our ears. And that takes us into sort of the augmented sound side of augmented reality. As I'm walking down the road, we have already been experimenting in what we're doing with Bluetooth. That little voice just pops up and say, oh, it's the next turning on the left. In 20 yards, take the next left. These are vehicles for the imagination. And it comes back to that question about storytelling. How do we bring the storytelling back into it? And that's what I'd really like to see is something that rather than just it's nice is actually fun. So spatial audio, that's got to be fun, right? A spatial audio, if you've not listened to it, it is, is amazing because it's like the real world. Things are happening all around you. And as you turn your head, so they move with you. It's like that little one from a horror movie of somebody whispering, I'm behind you. And you turn around and you still hear the sound behind you saying, I'm still behind you. Imagine if you were listening to a show now and the voices felt like they were coming from all around you. A cinema experience for your ears. It's a long, long way from the radio plays I grew up listening to when coconuts would ride into town. Every spatial audio person loves a good reverb and the more immersive you can get that, the better. Gavin Kearney knows a thing or two about spatial audio and surround sound. He's worked with Mercedes-Benz, BBC, Dolby and Abbey Road Studios. I worked as a live sound engineer and a studio engineer and throughout all of that I was always fascinated with room acoustics. And so once I started working in surround sound, once I started moving beyond the realm of stereo reproduction and realizing how freeing that is, you know, instead of boxing everything between plus and minus 30 degrees between two loudspeakers and trying to make everything fit into a mix, now you spatially unmask sounds by panning them around, you don't have to EQ as much, you don't have to compress as much, and it's so freeing you can get this immersive experience that is really scintillating and engaging. And also the fact that we can trick the brain into thinking that when we're listening on headphones, that the signals that we're processing and sending to those headphones are the same as they are in reality. 3D spatial audio is already changing the way us musicians, producers and sound designers create. And you'll get to hear that difference. Apple announced in 2021 it would add lossless audio and Dolby Atmos to its music streaming service. The sense of sonic immersion means sounds will appear to come from around and above you, rather than from speakers or headphones. Atmos Music offers the chance to really feel like you're at a gig or to experience effects normally reserved for movie soundtracks. This is revolutionary stuff. We're not even scratching the surface on how we can communicate ideas, concepts, feelings, emotions with our audiences. It's really powerful tools to create psychoacoustic storytelling. How one can yeah. create characters and 
nuance and tell stories on a very deep physiological level. It speaks to a layer of storytelling that didn't exist to writers and directors and performers previously. So the best example that I can give you, miking up the Sistine Chapel, you know, with 70 odd mics, getting that sense of height and depth and sound beyond the speakers on the left side, right side, echo, reverb, and, and almost being able to hear the moisture or lack of in that room, how dry the air is in that room, transportational. That's what it does. Being able to transport a listener root and branch into a completely different space based on their understanding of sound. Meet Ray Mir, an immersive audio designer who's worked with the likes of The Beatles, Justin Bieber and Morricone. When somebody's listening to a audio drama, being able to close one's eyes and understand where you are as an audience listener within the narrative plane, it really does open the scope for movement as opposed yeah. to just being in a fixed position, because even yeah, yeah. the way audio is currently conceived is it's still very linear. It's still very within the vocab of I'm watching something. Yeah, I am you're, listening you're, to something. You are the static listener and, and the world and, revolves around you. And the world a, revolves around on you. On a left to right basis. As if you're in a cinema. That means we'll be able to experience the Jaws moment again, where you had people climbing over seats because of two notes on a cello. And you and I both know that things are scarier in your mind. The idea <laughs> yeah. is scarier than yeah. seeing all the reveal. We're at that point, Justin, again, with the tools that are available yeah. to us. Making Jaws even scarier seems justification enough for the money going into hearable R&D. But there's more fun to be had. By giving our ears emotional superpowers, listening to our daily lives and offering up all sorts of insights. So often people think about the eye, but in fact, you know, the ear, I like to say, is the true window to, to our soul when it comes yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you know, the augmentation that can happen. Because ears are, you know, our hearing is omnidirectional. It directs our eyes. It enables a great deal of emotional response. This is Dr. Poppy Crumb, the former chief scientist at Dolby Laboratories and leading light in the area of spatial audio and hearable hardware technology. One of the most interesting uses of hearables for her is how it can help us communicate better. Imagine you're in a restaurant, the music's loud. It's hard to hold a conversation. If I think about the fact that I'm in a noisy environment, my device can know that. It can you know, pick up on the fact, number one, my, maybe my voice has raised, the semantic content, meaning it might have gotten a little bit louder, maybe it got a little more intense, but also you detect my cognitive load went up in my ear. You might detect that my stress was going up and you might detect also where I'm trying to attend to and immediately raise the signal to noise ratio. You know who the talkers are. So every place that we can be understanding and closing that loop becomes really powerful for how we increase our experiences. More than just helping us to hear what the hell someone's saying in a noisy bar, the technology in our ears can also be picking up our vital signs. Maybe I'm trying to sleep. Maybe I'm trying to meditate. Maybe it's 1 a.m. and I'm actually trying to finish a presentation for the next morning. So you start realizing that there are all these different signatures. We can detect the onset of a seizure, a stroke, 
neurodegeneration. Groups have been looking at you know, detecting conditions associated with Alzheimer's. And you realize the power that that EEG signature has when joined with machine learning and AI. You end up with a very powerful platform of information about your brain health that's very intimate and very personal. EarTech detecting life-threatening conditions and also actively deciphering the world around you. One thing that's happened since earbuds and hearables have come in, we've seen a real explosion of people writing audio algorithms to process a sound. We have people, particularly if you're putting noise cancellation in, saying, well, can I filter for things like the baby crying so that I can actually hear that? In the US, you've got ones that are saying, can we listen for guns being fired? So there's a lot of clever stuff being done. We're also seeing it with translation that we're starting to see translating headsets and earbuds where you can have a sort of half-decent conversation in a language you know nothing about. That ability to communicate wherever you are is an incredibly important thing to have. So we specialize in making earbuds that translate language. This is Andrew Okoa, the founder and CEO of Waverly Labs. So we translate 20 languages and I think about 42 dialects. But will in-ear translation be a blessing or a curse? This and many equally critical questions will be answered across the series of Now Hear This. In the next episode, could hearables be our ultimate guide to self-care? So we're closing our eyes and we're thinking about something in your life, a time that was incredible. 